It's time for another Pro Tip episode with Jenny Smith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 256 of the Juicebox podcast, sponsored by Omnipod, Dexcom, and Dancing for Diabetes. You can go to dancing4diabetes.com, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, or myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox to find out more about the sponsors. Jenny is a certified diabetes educator. She's like a nutrition thingy. Like she does a whole bunch of like technical stuff that she's got degrees for. She works at Integrated Diabetes. If you'd like to hire her for yourself, you know, have these conversations with her one-on-one, you go to integrateddiabetes.com. Or you can go into the show notes of your podcast player where I have Jenny's email address, email her directly, all different ways to get hold of Jenny Smith. All these links, of course, are at juiceboxpodcast.com if you get confused and you need to find them somewhere. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and to always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical plan or becoming bold with insulin. I liked your idea a lot of beginning ideas around blood sugar management with exercise because I hear from people constantly and I always think that my answer to them is incomplete because it's one of those things that I think I just know how to do and I don't know why I know how to do it or why it works sometimes. Um, you know, I, everyone who listens knows that Arden played really competitive softball for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And that that means at this part of the country, that means being outside in incredible heat weekend after weekend, sometimes from 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. playing two, three, four softball games, you know. Right. And I strive for a nice blood sugar around 90 or I don't change my goals because of what she's doing. Right. And I also am not much of a pre-planner, but I do, I have spoken to people who are like, look, you know, I'm an adult. I'm going to go to the gym at five o'clock after work. I need my blood sugar not to fall at five o'clock when I start working out or later or sooner. And how do I do that? And I have to tell you, I know it's around basal insulin and pre, you know, basically like setting basals up ahead of time or afterwards to catch lows and stuff. But I'm so reactive, I don't think about it that way. So how do you talk to people about it? Yeah, you don't really have a, I mean, as you've done for a long time, you're sort of like, you're surfing the wave of what's happening for Arden. And you're managing very well doing that because you've intuitively learned how she reacts to things for the most part, Mm -hmm. right? But to teach people in a general sense, I think one you you said it correctly. Uh, I think it's around basal. Well, you're you're right in that it's around insulin. Most people. Uh, my son, my son just walked in, and I'm like, <laughs> I know, no, I was I'm, re- I'm recording. <laughs> and he looked at me. Oh, so the 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 insulin is really a big piece, and a lot of people again they focus on a number when they're going into exercise, but they're not focused on what's what's the causative to that number? What's affecting that number and where it may directionally go? So when we talk about, you know, your person here, example wise, who's going to exercise every day at 5 p.m. Well, for them, that's kind of a nice time frame of the day because the goal there in a simplified way would be no active insulin on board. So no bolus insulin, you know, and they, let's say as an adult, they only eat lunch at noon or one o'clock technically. By five o'clock, that bolus should, for the most part, unless they're looping, that should be gone, right? And it would mean then, you know, aiming to either not have an afternoon snack in which there's no bolus that would be riding into the exercise. And then the basal component, 
there is a lot of debate about should I adjust my basal for exercise? When should I do it? How much should I do it by? And that's where it comes to be an individual nature of adjustment because it ta- you have to take into consideration the intensity and the duration mm-hmm. of the planned activity. You know, if this example, you know, guy is going to go for an hour and a half spin class, high, low, it's sort of a high intensity interval sort of workout. And if he's only going in on basal, he could shut his basal down, not off, but lower his basal incrementally enough well before he actually starts moving so that he shouldn't technically need much of any food at all to continue that, let's say, 90-minute spin class, for example. Yeah. Adjustment to basal, most people feel like they have an idea. I turned it off, you know, I turned it down or I turned it off 30 minutes before and I still went low or I continued, I was low by the end and then I continued to be low. The problem is that as we've talked before, circulating insulin level isn't lower or higher until about 60 minutes post adjustment. And when you're really aiming to get into a specific target for beginning exercise, your circulating insulin level should be low enough by that point because this is only going to propel the intense intense action of the insulin on a basal level that you have now circulating. If you're normally at a 1.0 unit per hour basal rate and you knock it down by 50%, that 50% reduction should be started at least 90 minutes, if not two hours prior to when you jump on that spin bike. I'm checking out dancingfordiabetes.com right now. I went to their blog. There's a lot going on over there. Looks like they had a fundraiser recently, a game night in Orlando. Group dance auditions are now open for their annual Dancing for Diabetes show. Uh, There's a follow-up here from when they were at Friends for Life. They're announcing new partners in their D-Box program. They have this box of, like, great stuff that they send out to newly diagnosed people. Some actually some juice box podcast stuff in there as well. But they've just added Sugar Medical and TrialNet. You can find out all this yourself. You don't need me to read it to you. Dancing the number four diabetes.com. Check out their blog. So this gentleman, you know, he should really reduce his basal by 3 p.m. And he should reduce it for the intensity and the duration at least by 50%. Again, these are kind of starting places and you'll find what adjustment works specific to you, but it's a good starting place. Now, if he was just going to go for a walk for... 60 minutes at a moderate pace, enough to kind of bring up his heart rate a little bit, but not crazy. Maybe his adjustment is a 25% basal reduction, but it still needs to be taken back by at least 90 minutes to two hours before he takes that walk. Right. It it reminds me of a number of things. One, there was a, I forget what it was called. Gosh, there was a a thing that happened in the, in, I can't think of what the name of the the website is. It's gone now. Uh, Manny Hernandez has his website. That's not Active. Oh, two diabetes? Yeah, they used to do that thing every year where they, they kind of challenge you to get out and do exercise, right? And char- yeah. chart your blood sugar and see yep. where it would fall. So That was in November for the Diabetes Month, Diabetes it, Awareness. Yeah, yeah, check your blood sugar now, walk or do something fun for 15 minutes of movement and check again. Right, and people would see that their blood sugars would come down. Yeah. And so, so it's the same idea except with lower, lower numbers and tighter tolerances for exercise. Your blood sugar is going to fall or try to fall because of this exercise, what can you do prior to that to not, to, to, to keep the fall from happening? And I think that what ends up happening is there's two false narratives 
Well, there's a false narrative that and a problem that people build around exercise. And I think about going to sleep too with diabetes. The false narrative is if I make my blood sugar this high, that when it drops, it won't get dangerously low. Correct. If you're thinking that, you are completely missing the point, right? The point should be that your blood sugar doesn't need to drop like that. Let's right. fi- let's find a way to live where it's not dropping out of nowhere. Correct. And and so, but I see how that's the fix, right? Like, I see how that's what uh, occurs to people. I mm-hmm. drop fifty points, so you know. Let's start fifty points higher start than 50 I really ever want to be. Right, because the guy stuck a pencil in his pocket, and then he robbed the bank, so the pencil caused the bank robbery. Like, just the falls, not the right. the falls. The falls. God, what am I trying to say? Like, like the fall is. It, the fall it, can be offset if you think ahead about how insulin works. It doesn't have to happen. And right. and and so you shouldn't be planning to stop the fall. You should be planning for a fall to never happen to begin with. Correct. Or minimal enough that you really are not in danger because of the drop, right? right? right. I mean, exercise can even, you know, um even people who do plan ahead might see something like a 10 or 20 point change in blood sugar during or by the end of their exercise session. That's nothing. You know, if you're starting with a blood sugar of 110 and you drop 10 points, eh, great. Right. You're at 100 now. Awesome. That's nothing, you know. My expectation isn't that you can set your blood sugar at 89 while you're, you know, running a marathon. It's never going to move. But there are things at play while you're running that you don't think about. The, you know, the anaerobic style of exercise is trying to bring your blood sugar down, but you've changed your basal rate, which is trying to bring bring your blood sugar up. Also, Maybe you have adrenaline, which is trying to bring your blood sugar up. So you, even people who have that stability, they don't 100% know why they have it. Like, they don't really understand all the pieces that are affecting this number, moving or not moving. Right. It's interesting. That the other thing that you said that feels problematic to me, because I hear so many people, like, every time I speak to someone, I'll tell them the same thing. Look, just start pre-bolusing, and your A1C is going to go down like a point. And then they inevitably say, well, I can't really remember to do that. And I'm like, all right, well, then your blood sugar is going to, like, what do you want from me? Right. Like, you, you have to pre-bolus. Like, this is how this is go- what you're going to see. Right. This exercise thing really is no different. Um, That's right. They're still pre-bolusing. They're just pre-bolusing with, they're, they're pre-basaling. With but, adjustment. But with, an, mm-hmm. with, a, with a, a, a reverse adjustment instead of a, a more positive adjustment. And so I wonder how many people fall into that category when they say, look, I know I'm going to be at the gym at 5, but how in God's name do I think about it at 3.30? Mm -hmm. you know, in that situation. And so some of the strategies in pumps today, you know, there are alarms or reminders that you can set, you know, even in the PDM for Omnipod, you can set up alerts and reminders, um, for things. Um, I, I used to have, um, one set up for reminding me to pre-bolus so that I had enough time between that and actually starting to eat my dinner. I also had a reminder to check my blood sugar at bedtime. Not that I needed the reminder, but it was there in case I had a really hectic night and I did forget before I like climbed into bed, right? So for things like a reminder, if you are pretty strategic about popping in your exercise every day at 5 p.m., why not just set an alert or a reminder in your pump to go off, or even on your phone, if your pump doesn't do it, or you don't want to set it there, put it in your phone and call it exercise adjustment or whatever, you know, so it is that physical visual reminder, you have to turn the alert off. Oh, why did I set the alert? Oh, that's right. I'm going to go exercise at five o'clock. Just just two days ago, someone said my child will does not seem to be remembering to pre-bolus at school. And I said, Oh, yeah, Arden was terrible at that. 
And she said, well, what did you do? I said, I just set up an alarm on her phone for when I wanted her to pre-bolus. And it would go off and it would pop up and say pre-bolus. And then she'd, you know, send me a text and be like, do you, do you want to do this now? And we built on that. And that was years ago. And last year, she says to me, I don't need the pre-bolus alarm anymore. And I said, okay, yeah, okay no problem. And sure enough, like it just... It happens so many times that now it just, it's muscle memory. It's like memory. brushing our teeth. Exactly. It's just memory. Right. Yeah. So that's, exactly. what, that's what you guys are going to have to do, whether this is about, you know, an adult for exercise, a kid for exercise, or a kid playing a sport. You can't just, mm-hmm. I mean, it sucks, right, that you can't just get up and run out the door and go do it, but it's going to take a little bit of pre-planning. And if your health that or your, you know, your... Um, you know, if that means that much to you, that's what you're going to have to do. Like, it and I do is. think it hel- it's important. I mean, with that statement, you know, can't you can't just get up and run out the door. Well, you know what? What if you ended up sleeping in because the alarms didn't go off the right way, and you had planned to get to your kid's softball tournament mm-hmm. at 9 a.m. and oh my gosh, it's like eight o'clock and we're like running out the door with like food in our hand and we're running and trying to get there and it just yeah. didn't happen to be able to plan. Well, in, in that instance, I mean, there are strategic management you know, ideas, you couldn't adjust the basil. There was no way to do it, right? right? So in that circumstance, then food becomes your offset to potential changes in blood sugar. You know, if you got up late to go for your normal six-mile run first thing in the morning and you always like to eat ahead of time, then the strategy may very well be, okay, maybe you don't bolus. If you're going to eat and head out the door in the next 30 to 60 minutes and you're going to take a six-mile run, depending on how long that takes you, you may be able to take 25% of the recommended bolus. You may be able to take none of the recommended bolus and strategically then manage blood sugar well because you're feeding the activity, you're feeding to avoid a drop in blood sugar, but you're not stacking insulin into a time that it's just going to get active. See, right? I'm, I'm smiling so much because this is like the next level of thinking about all this, about the manipulation of the insulin. Uh, when Arden w- would run off the field, like I, and I'd have her, I'd know what her blood sugar was. And she, if she ran off, I might say to her, hey, water, you know, drink water now. And then maybe watch. And then if I saw her blood sugar kind of dipping down, the next time she came off the field, I'd say, you know, switch to the sports drink. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she'd switch to the sports drink and then I'd be like, switch back to water you know, and it only happens a couple times, maybe, it, maybe never, to be perfectly honest with you. She's played softball games where her blood sugar's never moved. You've got her basil right, you're prepped right going in, or like you said, you ate the right things before playing, and these things are sitting nice and stable in your stomach and, and kind of holding, you know, holding the, the pressure back of, uh, of the activity, mm-hmm. trying to make your blood sugar lower. But you can reverse engineer all of these ideas. Like, Use food instead of, like, you know, I say it here, you know, a lot, and I don't know how clear it is because it's sometimes not 100% clear in my head, but we don't, we always just think about how the insulin impacts the number, your blood sugar, but we never think about how food impacts the insulin or how food impacts the number. There's so many different pieces to this. It's all not just a one-way street. Like, all these things are affecting all these different things, and if you pick the right one, it can manipulate something right. that you never thought was manipulatable. And and it is, y- you know. And also understanding your variables and how they affect you maybe at certain times of the day is a piece of it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you from my, from my uh, management, I guess, toolbox, I've figured out that my morning runs, I can get up, I can bolus for about 40 to 50% of 
the normal recommended bolus. As long as I'm heading out the door within the next 30 to 60 minutes, Mm -hmm. that partial bolus for what I ate will help me keep my blood sugar nice and stable throughout. Now, in the afternoon, if I did that, my blood sugar within 15, 20 minutes would tank. It would entirely tank. Mm -hmm. I would need, I just know my sensitivity at times of day. And Mm -hmm. so again, on an individual level, some of the things, you know, that we're talking about, they're a beginning piece. They're where to start. If you've had no strategy whatsoever, these are places to start with what you can try to, you know, I guess, implement. Um, But you're going to find that things need to be adjusted personally for yourself. I mean, my race day strategy, knowing my like training run strategy, my race day strategy is completely different. With the adrenaline of everything getting going on a race day morning, I mean, and I'm not a competitive like pro runner. Not out there there being like, I'm going to kill all these people here. Right. I'm going to be a four minute mile or something. No, I'm just, I'm out there, but it's a race day. And so I bolus 100% for my breakfast on a race day morning. And if I don't, my blood sugar is 300 by the time I start the race. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box just got a facelift. It's nice. It's fancy. Here's what it talks about. Zero finger sticks. That's right. The Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor is FDA permitted to allow for zero finger sticks. Of course, you can customize your alerts and your alarms by setting the range and getting notified when you're heading high or low. There's smart device compatibility. What's that mean? You can see your glucose data in real time on your compatible smartphone, iOS and Android. Go check out which ones they support. Sharing your data. Talk about this all the time, right? Being able to see a loved one's or someone's glucose levels, direction, rate of change, all remotely. That could be your child at a sleepover, a friend that's alone for a couple of nights. Doesn't matter. Anybody who needs, you know, someone to have their back. Dexcom even has Siri integration. I can't tell you about that right now or my phone will start talking to me. But you can check it out at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box to find out more. The CGM is also, by the way, indicated for use in children two years and older. It's amazing. Now to take the next step with Dexcom, just go to my link and fill in the tiniest bit of information. Patient's first name, last name, email, phone number, city, state, you know, birthday, a little bit of information about what kind of diabetes you have and your insurance, and you are on the way. You can do this through the links in the show notes of your podcast app, links at juiceboxpodcast.com, or by remembering dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. My daughter's results, of course, are her own. Yours may vary, but I'm telling you that the Dexcom G6 is maybe the most important part of your life with type 1 diabetes. Being able to see the direction and speed of your blood sugar is monumentally important. If I don't, my blood sugar is 300 by the time I start the race. And again, it's experience. It's experience of figuring it out. Uh, it kind of goes into the the difference of what type of sport or what type of athlete are you? Are you a an aerobic exerciser or are you more the weight kind of the heavy lifter kind of, you know, anaerobic, because those adjustments are different as well. Strategy there for many of the lifters that I work with, they find a need depending on their lifting plan, they find a need to potentially bolus to avoid a rise in blood sugar during a lifting session. 
off that the potential rise that they see is slower with a temp basal increase. Mm-hmm. And again, in their standpoint, that temp basal increase needs to be started about an hour before they actually get to their lifting session. Right. Or it doesn't help enough and they get a major rise. So I think the biggest thing with exercise adjustment is what has happened? What have you seen what is your problem, mm-hmm. right? Because if you start with the data that you've got and you look at it and you say, okay, I adjusted this way, totally didn't cut it. This did not work. Okay, adjust. Yeah. Look at your data and adjust and make, you know, is it a timing component? Is it an amount component? What do you need to change? It's funny because I see a through line from this to correcting um, a low. So when... You know, when people, when people's blood sugars get low and they, they eat because they need to, then this, you know, uncertainty just allows them that they do nothing and their blood sugars come like crashing, like back up again, right? Now you're, you've just crashed down. Now you're flying back up. I, I say all the time, like, you'll know you're like a ninja when you're bolusing, you know, after you've eaten for a low, like, you know, your blood sugar's gone down to 40, you're shaking, you're out of your mind, you're eating all the food. You stop for a second, go, okay. I'm okay now. I, I ate say, a yeah, lot of food. I, ate a, I just <laughs> ate 70 carbs worth of food. What do I do now? Well, the answer is I bolus now. You know, how much? I don't know. You figure that out. But that's what I did. I mean, I the first time I did it with my daughter, I'm like, I can. I'm so scared. Boom, 350 blood sugar. Then next time I was like, okay, well, maybe like for half of it. And half of it didn't work. And so eventually I could just, I kind of eyeballed it. It was usually about three quarters of the carbs. Like, right? And like when you stopped and really thought about it, you know, sure, the 20, 25 carbs stopped the fall and got you level. The other 50 were just your body going, eat more, eat more, eat more, eat more, right? If you could have stopped yourself after 25 or 30 carbs, you would have been you okay. Need to bolus. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't need to bolus, but you don't, you know, you can't stop yourself in that situation. And so it's happening. Now you got to do the next thing that makes sense. It's all really just about, I hate, I hate to, oh, I feel like I oversimplify sometimes, but all we're talking about in the last 10 minutes. All you really heard was right amount of insulin at the right time, you know, which is obviously overly simplified, but that's all we're talking about. The right amount might mean, and I I, I get scared too when people hear right amount that they, that they think of on the positive or more, like actually the right amount might be less. It could be less basal, right? It could be not bolusing at all, eating a banana, going out the door for a run and thinking, you know, this banana is usually three units, but... I, I I know if I didn't bolus for this, my blood sugar is only going to go up about 80 points because bananas don't hit me that hard for some reason. Sure. And when I go out for a run, I fall 60 points. So boom, I'm going to eat the banana. I'm going to go. And that's... And you countered it. Yeah. There's yep. all different ways to get in that fight. Um, mm-hmm. I have a couple of notes. The other... Well, please. Oh, yeah, no, no, sure. you... No, please. Oh, I was going to say, kind of, on this, kind of on the same note there, from the standpoint of not having enough time to adjust... Um, prior to, let's say, for a basal adjustment, truly. Another component is you may actually have to, you may have to eat food to curb a potential drop. If you know the drop is coming and you've only got 20 minutes before you're going to head out the door to go and exercise, you may have to have 10 or 15 grams of carb in order to stop a potential drop from happening. And that, it's a, it's a hard thing to consider when you're also, for the most part, as an adult, especially, considering exercise as a piece of like a weight management tool, right? And if you're feeling like, 
well, gosh, every time I exercise, I have to go and eat like three granola bars. That's like, what's the, what's point? the purpose? <laughs> yeah. What's the point of this, right? I'm exercising, but I'm not seeing any changes here. Well, again, some strategic planning can help, but if there's no ability to adjust anything ahead of time because there's not enough time, you may actually have to quote unquote eat something. And my my recommendation to most of the athletes that I work with, if it's that the circumstance, simplify the carbs that you're eating. Sit and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a pro bar that's, you know, like 300 calories. Your body, right before you get started moving, needs the simplest form of carb you can get. It needs to get into the system to affect quickly and stop a potential drop because usually aerobic exercise drops happen within about the first 20 minutes or get started within yeah. about the first 20 minutes. Right. So simpler the carbs are, one, you're not getting fat and protein calories. So you don't have this load mm -hmm. of excess. And if you use something simple like the sport drinks, you know, whether it's Gatorade, Powerade, vitamin water, whatever yeah. it is, make sure it's got some carbs in it and have about, you know, eight ounces, which is almost 15 grams of carb. Right. That's a simple amount. Your body's going to use it easily. It's going to help to stop an initial drop. You may need to bring it along and sip it along the way um, as well. But at least it's getting used up and it's not something that's packing away calories. I have a question and I don't know the answer to it. So uh, which just is an indication to you guys that sometimes I ask questions I know the answer to just so you can hear the answer. But in this situation, <laughs> I don't know the answer to this question. So your body, when you work out, uses up food as fuel. But that we're accustomed to putting that food in us and letting it be used up as a buoy for our blood sugar. So I, I don't know yeah. what my question is. But if I eat a banana and I sit down, like because my blood sugar is 60, I eat a banana, I sit down, I expect this to bring my blood sugar back up to 130, and it does. But if I eat that same banana at 60 while I'm doing something that's causing my body, so is are my muscles stealing the banana that I need for the sugar? Does it still go in the blood and I use it and I get it? Any I, Do I get both benefits or do I only get one? All of this talk about exercise has me just super warm and fuzzy inside about the Omnipod. You hear what we're talking about, right? Jenny and I are discussing methods for increasing and decreasing your basal insulin in ways that will stop low blood sugars while you're exercising. And these tools work in a lot of other parts of life, not just for exercise. Now, when you're exercising, you need your insulin. You don't need your insulin. You need a little more, you need a little less. You need to be able to manipulate your basal rates. If you're pumping right now and you're not using the Omnipod, this is not something you can do while you're exercising because you have to disconnect your tubed pump to exercise. But the Omnipod is a tubeless pump. And you can have it on not just while you're exercising, but while you're swimming or bathing, you never have to take it off. Now let's just take a second, let that settle in, right? The Omnipod is the only insulin pump that doesn't have tubing. The only insulin pump that you can wear while you're exercising. Because of that, it's the only insulin pump that allows you stewardship over your basal insulin during exercise. A little more, a little less, a little sooner, a little later. Now here's the greatest thing about the Omnipod, and I mean this. Free, no obligation demo. It's a PEC, a pod experience kit that Omnipod is thrilled to send you. And all you have to do is go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box for, again, your free, no obligation demo pod. They'll send it to you and you can wear it. You can go out and exercise with an Omnipod on and see if it's something you'd be happy and excited to do. And if you wouldn't be, whatever, no harm, no foul. Nobody's going to hassle you. You don't have to get an Omnipod if you don't want to. But the best way to find out if what I'm saying will work for you 
is to give it a try. There's links in your show notes and at juiceboxpodcast.com. Do I get both benefits or do I only get one? Depends where you are sort of in the exercise. In early exercise, your body would get the benefit of the banana would actually bring your blood sugar up because your muscles now are resting. Mm -hmm. You've stopped. You're eating the banana. You haven't been exercising for very long. So it should technically bring your blood sugar up. Maybe not as much as if you were just sitting and not doing anything and eating the banana and not taking insulin for it. Um, But the longer amount of time you've been moving, the more primed your muscles are to grab glucose and bring it into for for their benefit, right? Because they're trying to retain, they're trying to energize essentially. Mm-hmm. And this is a really hard concept. I'm glad question-wise you brought it up because um, athletes, endurance athletes especially, those who are doing long distance of anything, triathletes, long distance cyclists, even kids or um, adults who are in long-term like um competition on a weekend, like four or five, like you said, you know, Arden might be, have been in softball from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. That's a long day of movement, of asking your muscles to do something. And most people are like, ah, I've got my basal dialed in. I totally, I rocked it. My blood sugar was nice and stable, but man, I felt like I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. My, I just slugged through this whole four hour marathon and I didn't, my blood sugar was great but I didn't feel the greatest. What's the problem? The problem is that you've been thinking about yourself as diabetes, a person with diabetes, right? You have to first think about yourself as an athlete. Athletes, whether you have diabetes or not, you need energy of whatever source you're choosing to use. You know, even ketogenic endurance athletes use some form of fuel during long distance Mm -hmm. to maintain and be able to perform. And, you know, people who aren't ketogenic, you need a carb source and you need it put in strategically over that endurance time so that you can fuel your muscles. You can give it what is needed so the muscles can keep doing what you're asking them to do. Now, from a diabetes standpoint, what you're putting in to fuel your muscles also has to work well with blood sugar piece, right? They have to kind of balance each other out. But first and foremost, as an athlete, you have to think, what do my muscles need to perform the way that I want them to perform. Yeah, you're doing two different, very different things, but they're both working out of the right. same pool of food, basically. So, Correct. yeah. And and thus with it, insulin adjustment might be very different. I mean, when I am um, training long distance, like half marathon, marathon, my training runs and the actual event, it's surprising most people who've kind of dialed things in will find that their basal insulin adjustment doesn't go down a lot. For my marathons, I only reduce my basal by 10%. And this was conventional pumping, Mm -hmm. right? I only adjusted my basal down by 10% for the duration of time of the run. Because what I expected then was the rest of the basal to be able to encourage the food that I was taking into fuel along the way into my working muscle. Because insulin has to be there to propel some of that and the activity helps with the rest of it. It opens the doors on the muscle cells and lets the food in. Right. So if I reduce my basal too much and fueled along the way, I had these jumps in blood sugar that I didn't need. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I just kept my basal a little bit lower and I fueled strategically, you know, every 20 minutes putting in a little bit of something along the course of time and hydration, again, blood sugar stayed nice, but I also had energy to keep moving. Yeah. I, I 
I, I, I should say that at the, the other side of Arden's long tournament days, you know, no problems, like you just said, with the blood sugars throughout the tournament into the evening. There's regular bolusing at dinner time, but around late evening, 9, 10 o'clock, going into falling asleep time, all the food was free at that point. Like, she could eat without insulin. Like, and by the, and when she goes to sleep, and I know people see like one way or the other usually. Arden's a eyes closed, blood sugar falls person. Like, so if, if something's not right with her insulin, when she goes to sleep, her blood sugar tries to go down. Um, and so even if you gave her a juice at midnight and turned her basil off, that still couldn't catch a low after a full day of activity. You had to give her something to eat that was substantial, that would really stick with her in her system mm -hmm. while she was sleeping. And even in the morning, even in the morning, waking up, like getting through the night, okay. And I've done it well, and I've done it poorly. And poorly would be like, you know, three juice boxes to get through the night and a banana or something like that. I would call that poorly. And I've done it well where I've gotten her through with like a, you know, something at the end of the day that stuck with her overnight, some temping down with basil, stuff like that. But even that next morning when she woke up, her blood sugars were like terrific. They were low. You needed the, you know, the, the, my, you know, whatever the base amount of insulin was for the meal. Like, you know, sometimes you're like, this is two units. And then the next day you're like, oh, how come it was more like four today? Whatever the right. mi most minor amount was, but always the day after a softball tournament is all you need. Her insulin needs yep. were very low. But that was, gosh, if that didn't kick in nine hours after she got done playing and lasted probably for nine hours after that. It was really, it's really something. Yep. And that's what we call Gary actually, um, has coined the term dope like homer simpson dope mm -hmm. uh dope is d-o-h delayed onset hypoglycemia essentially is what that is right and it is again this is where visually looking and seeing you know it was about nine to ten hours later mm -hmm. that she started having a drop in insulin need and it lasted for another good let's say 10 hours that's experience you looked at her data and you said over and over this is what i see so that's kind of where you have to go back and you have to look and see well, gosh, after I have like a three hour run in the afternoon or, you know, a four hour softball tournament in the morning, I end up being low from dinner time all the way through the next morning. Yeah. If that's the case, you can set temp adjustments down mm -hmm. again in basil at a strategic time so you don't end up having to do a juice box and a basil off for a certain amount of time because really there you're missing the boat. Yeah, right. Please. No, no, you're, that that was you're yeah. treating now right. when ahead of time had the basil been adjusted down enough, the treatment shouldn't have been needed or yeah. less of it. As right? aggressive, yeah. No, I and I, I I made sure to characterize it that way. Like in the beginning, like I didn't do a, a good job of it all, and you were just the whole evening was just like here, stay alive, eat this. Here, stay alive, mm -hmm. eat this. Hey, why don't we just you know shut your basil off for a while and see if that helps? That's all. 911 stuff like that's right. not that's not like oh I'm really doing right. a great job you know later right. later a great job was knowing that after dinner throughout the evening she needed less basil and yeah. and that she should eat something reasonably substantial like yep. a little before bed like that kind of stuff but my gosh the first couple times you know I did it once in a hotel room where <laughs> My God, it was just embarrassing. You're banging into things. You don't know where anything is, and it's dark, you know? And I'm just like, oh, what is happening? And then, you know, her alarm goes off. She's like, we have another game. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great, because I've been up all night. 
you know. And then the next day, all the parents are like, all the the parents are like, you look tired. And I'm like, uh huh. Yeah, you guys were all drinking all night. I was up trying to fix this blood sugar thing. Um, <laughs> not that all parents at sporting events are drunks, but most of them are. And um, I'm I'm not I'm not a drinker, so I wasn't involved to begin with, but. Uh, they all were like, they'd come down in the morning, like all hungover. And I, I they must have thought I was just like quietly, privately drinking by myself, you know, because right. I, I looked worse than they did some days. Um, but no, but there's just so much. So, so. On such, and, uh, kind of on the same, yeah. on the same note, not to interrupt, but no. the aftermath sometimes too of exercise can happen right after. Mm-hmm. The lower needs in insulin can be for several hours after. Um, weightlifters too may have that rise during, but then the impact of lifting and their muscles sort of building, repairing, restructuring, and the insulin sensitization that they get from working their muscles out can have impact into, you know, four, six, eight hours after where they actually need less insulin now. Yeah. I had that, I had that on my notes, like what does muscle breakdown and and rebuild do? Um, Mm -hmm. And what, you know what too, dehydration I'm reminded about this again the other day because I said this to a person and it was like no one had ever said it to them in their whole life. And they're like, you know, sometimes my insulin doesn't work as well in the morning. I was like, you know, have you tried waking up and just banging down a glass of water? And they said, no, why? And I said, well, insulin doesn't get through your cells as well if the cells are dehydrated because then the insulin can't travel through. You know, I'm like saying it and as I'm saying it, I'm like, God, you've never heard this before. You know, like three years with diabetes, the guy had never heard that before. And he's like, I just, okay, that sounds great. I'll try that. When Mm -hmm. Arden's at school, whenever her blood sugar gets sticky, the first thing I say to her is like, hey, drink some water. Let's see if, you know, we can find a simple, you know, answer to this question. So, Well, it's kind of like things just move slowly through your system. It's like your blood gets, when you're dehydrated, your blood gets like, sludge or like molasses in Mm -hmm. winter, essentially. It doesn't move. Nothing moves through the system very well. Nutrients don't get where they're supposed to go. Everything that's traveling there is slow. Whereas when you're well hydrated and everything is nice and plump with water, it can move fast. It's like a freely flowing river, right? Okay. Yeah. That, so, so I have to stay hydrated when I'm being active, no matter what, but it, it, it is also helping me get a a smooth baseline for what I expect out of my insulin. And then at least what I yep. see one way or the other, I know is real um, mm-hmm. and not because I'm dehydrated and, or something. What does heat, how does heat impact blood sugars? Because, you know, people in the warm weather States always report problems with their blood sugars um, as soon as the, as the, as the uh, summer comes. But I'm wondering right. you heat yourself up when you're working out too. Is that similar or no? Um, you know, that's a good question about the workout. I guess I never thought about it that way. It's probably pretty similar. Um, in exercise, of course, your muscles are just uptaking glucose more efficiently. The doors are opening even with less insulin being there. Mm -hmm. They're just opening more efficiently. Exercise is like free insulin, really. I mean, uh, unfortunately, we can't live on exercise. <laughs> I still have to use insulin, but um, it does help. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the in the case of overall warmth, um, if you think about when you're warm, your vessels move closer to the surface of the skin, or right, and you sweat, and you that's a cooling effect, right? It's your body's sort of way so that you're you don't overheat. Well, when that happens. Um, get more circulating 
you get more circulation around the actual insulin pumped or injected site. So you allow that insulin to get absorbed faster, I guess is the easiest, most simple way to say it. So in warm weather or when warm weather comes, many people do see, in fact, a friend of mine, once April hits, she's always like, my basils just need to go down. It's warmer outside. I know that I need an adjustment. Nothing else has changed. My weight hasn't changed. My in, my food hasn't changed. I am just outside more. It's warmer. She needs less insulin. And then it might go up again in fall and or winter. And exercise, obviously, that heats you. You get a lot faster circulation. I mean, that's the benefit to your heart. Your you know circulatory system is exercise does your heart good. Mm-hmm makes it pump harder. So with that and the fact that you're getting warmer, you just get a, a faster circulation of insulin, essentially. And we ha- we haven't really said this here either, but you have type 1 diabetes or the person we're talking about does. Exercise is very important to you. So this is a piece you have to figure out. You can't just say, I can't figure out exercise. You you need exercise. You know, everyone does, but you know, people with diabetes need it maybe a little extra because you're trying to keep your body healthy. Uh, while it's trying right. to, uh, while it's trying to, uh, you know, while it's trying to beat you up. You need to, you need to take away as much power from that as you possibly can. And as a weight management strategy, sort of in the same realm of it needs to be something that happens every day. And many people with diabetes are really str- struggling and really trying to keep a healthy weight. If you can strategically plan your exercise in the aftermath of a meal, mm-hmm. as I said before, you could potentially use less insulin then because you're planning the exercise in a time frame of after insulin's been injected. So insulin's going to work better. You're also going to enable your body to burn more of that fuel off, right? Right. So it's a good strategy just all around. To eat and then work out. Eat and then work out. Again, ability to reduce the amount of insulin. Again, prevention of lows but also just burning calories and not having to take as much insulin. Doing, so. doing what you, what you wanted to, uh, what, what you, what you intended to do when you, when you decided to get up and go exercise. I want to look real right. qu- very quickly too, because, uh, Chris Rudin was on the podcast and we talked a lot about, um, we talked a lot about this kind of stuff too. And I just want to be able to tell people what episode that was be nice if I could figure it out. I am the guy with the podcast. You would think I would know, but, um, <laughs> well, there are so many of them. Well, th- we are getting to that spot, aren't we? Uh, I can't figure out which people are like, what episode? I'm like, I don't know anymore. Um, let's see. Where is it? Uh, all right. I'll have to figure it out and plug it in. Jenny's got her own life. She's got to get back to it. I will figure it out and you'll hear it edited in right here. Chris Rudin was on episode 201. Jenny, is there any, anything else that you think we should talk about here? We could probably go on and on with more like advanced stuff. But overall, I think those are the good basics to start with. Yeah, I think this is what we're looking for, a basic. And we'll, we'll hit more advanced things in another episode. Let this all sink awesome. in. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Some quick stuff. There's just a couple days left to enter my giveaway. It's the end of August 2019. If it's past August 2019, forget it. But right now, there's a huge giveaway going on. Go to juiceboxpodcast.com. There are a ton of great prizes for this giveaway, but among them is a free 30 minutes of talking with Jenny Smith. So if you love talking to Jenny here on the podcast, you know where she's talking and you're talking back to her in your car. 
Imagine if she could actually hear you. There's nothing to do to enter. Give it a shot. You might win. Thank you so much to Dexcom, Omnipod, and Dancing for Diabetes for sponsoring the Juice Box Podcast. These people have been with me for a very long time, and they help keep the podcast free. So give them a shout, right? Check them out at their links or, you know, just find a way to support them. Like, for instance, Dancing for Diabetes has an Instagram account. So does Omnipod and Dexcom. Follow them. Do something like that. When you see them online, be like, yo, thanks so much for sponsoring the Juice Box Podcast. Whatever you're going to do, give them a little hey, hey. You know what I'm saying? Let me thank you here for all the great reviews, the merch you guys are buying, the t-shirts. I'm starting to see pictures of you guys out in your real lives wearing shirts that say, like, stop the arrows and be bold. Very, very cool. All right, there'll be a new Defining Diabetes this Friday, and then we're going to get into the fall and run. Run. My next episode with Jenny Smith will be up in a month. It's going to be about fats and proteins and how to bolus for them. The month after that, the next episode with Jenny is called Ask Jenny. It's going to be the first episode where your questions are what I ask Jenny.